Before we start this episode, we'd like to give a massive thanks to Jordan Freeman and the Zoom platform for setting up this interview. This is an audio version of the full video version of the interview we had with Stephen Kent. If you would like to see the full video version, please check the link in your podcatcher. This is part three of a four-part interview with Stephen Kent, and part four will be dropping soon, so please keep an eye out for it. We had an absolute blast talking to Stephen about his books, The Ultimate History of Video Games, Volume 1 and 2. They are great books, so definitely check them out if you get the chance. With all that being said, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to another video recording of The Waffling Tailors. Um, we are being blinded by all of my screens here. I do apologize, everyone. I'm not looking at the camera. This is the worst thing that someone who's ever hosting something could do. Yeah, um, all of this your screens, is another video. Absolutely. Um, this is another video interview that um, we are running with Stephen Kent. Stephen, how, how the devil are you? are you? Are you well? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. It's the end of the week for me, so um, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Uh, it's also, um, here in the UK, it's what's known as bonfire night, so there's loads of people here setting off all sorts of different um, uh, fireworks and lighting fires everywhere, so it's uh, th they may come through on the recording, I have no idea. So if you hear fireworks, that's what that is, right? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sat in my house with the heating on because it's a, it's a bit nippy, it's a bit cold. Um it's a bit nippy. Just it? turned it on. Got a thick jumper on. So I, I would have put, I've got a really thick fleece on, but the problem is when I wear it, you, you see about this much of my face because it's all fleece. And I decided against it because you just see like. You're doing the eyes. Kenny look. I turn into Kenny from. Yeah, I turn into Kenny and I'd, I'd rather not because I'd end up having Jay yelling swear words at me. So I decided against it. I mean, why break the habit of a lifetime? <laughs> anyway. Fair enough. But yes, so this is a, a, a second uh, interview that um, that has been um, partially arranged by our friends over at the Zoom platform, including our friend Jordan. So thank you very much, Jordan. Um, and we um, we've we've previously had a conversation with Stephen uh, before. Uh, the first half was the first part, or rather, of our conversation was all about um, the the books because it's now a book series. There's volume one and volume two of um, the Ultimate Guide to. Uh, video game history or, or something to that effect. I'm pretty sure that is the title, right? Because well, I know that there was some contention about it was originally going to be called something else. Wasn't ultimate it? History of Video Games is that's what it. it ended up. That's it. it. was originally the, ultimate the first history. Mm. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Yes. So there's a little uh, sneak peek for people who haven't watched or listened to the first half. Please go ahead and check that out because uh, you'll hear us talk about the Ultimate History of Video Games um, and how and why um, it it was going to be called the first quarter, but why it was changed and why that name I think fits a little better. Uh, Cause uh, I believe, uh, you know, uh, you'd said Stephen last time, as soon as you name something, the ultimate anything, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure. Really? Uh, you haven't failed, but you are setting yourself up for failure. Um, you know, because anybody then comes along and says, Hey, you didn't talk about this one event that happened on a Saturday afternoon that has vaguely no bearing on anything mm. ever, but you said it was ultimate. So why didn't you include it? Right. <laughs> Excellent. What are the, so yeah. Um, if I can cut in for just a second, one of the big complaints was that yeah. I, I didn't in the first book have, I think I had one mention of Laura Croft in the entire first book. Um, I'd like to compound that error by saying that I actually consider the first um, Tomb Raiders to be among the most overly uh, hyped games, overrated games in video game, recent <laughs> video game history. Controversial. controversial. I, know, no, I know. You'll excuse me while I pull my boot out of my mouth. <laughs> I, I can see where you're coming uh, from with the second game. It, the the advertising for it did kind of go over the top. 
So I can kind of see what you mean yeah, by the second it, one. It, um, yeah. It led very heavily into the sex appeal side of things, mm. didn't it? And it got, that to me is very, uh, I don't want to, mm, that's not the video games that I like, right? I, I want to be entertained by a video game, not necessarily rely on the, um, the slightly sleazy aspect of look here are some CGI boobs. I'm like I, I don't I don't want to see you know well <laughs> it wasn't just that like you know I remember with the first sorry I'm, I'm Shanghaiing you guys I apologize it's fine but no it's fine I remember with the first one you started out and you're you know walking through this valley and there are raptors and that was pretty cool and then you look up and there's a rope bridge and it's broken and you're wondering. What could have broken that? And of course, a moment later, there's a huge Tyrannosaurus Rex. And that was all really cool. But then five minutes later, you're supposed to jump across the ravine and you have to hit the one pixel that that will save you. And <laughs> uh, that just never appealed to me. That kind of, you know, hit the, run, the one pixel or you're dead. Yeah, it's... Um... I will say from personal experience, it's even worse if you play it on a mouse and keyboard, or in my case, a keyboard. Um, it's You end up juggling a lot of different actions, forgetting where your fingers are, and because I spent that much time playing it, I was sat there gradually going cold, so I couldn't feel my feet, and then my fingers were going cold, and I could barely feel them. I couldn't see the keyboard, <laughs> you know, because I was trying to prevent myself from being gobbled up by the bleeding T-Rex. So it got to a point where I'm sat there, I'm doing that, turning into a T-Rex, trying to play the bloody game. I can't feel my fingers because I spent hours just trying to jump over the ravine. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, You're telling us that you suffer for your entertainment. I, um, you I, I suffer to try and, try and continue, and it, uh, it backfired. That but you were jump. able to do it eventually with, you know, with the keyboard. Yeah, right? um, mm-hmm. I, I, I ended up backflipping. And getting it, um, I remember that one specifically because it's it's a ravine that goes into a waterfall, and I couldn't hit it straight on. And I just thought, what happened if I just backflip it? So I turned around, backflipped, and managed to land it. So the the moral of that story is, if I can't hit a jump, just don't look and jump. It just seems to work. You know, Lara's backflip is more more powerful than a forward jumping ability. Who knew? Well, and see, you were doing it with a keyboard. I I had the luxury of a Dreamcast controller in my ah. ah. See that that's something that um, I guess uh, people who are playing games for enjoyment don't really uh, think about too much. Is that if you are in the games journalism uh, arena, especially I think now with the press embargoes being so short, you know, and especially with things going online mostly. You have maybe 24 hours to, to not only play the title enough that you can collect enough information to form your opinions and write about it in a very clear way, but also then to write about it and then to pass it to the editor and all of the other people that are between you and it being published and then it being published. Mm-hmm. So, um, I can't, I can't even imagine, like, especially if you get stuck on a section like that, what are you supposed to do? Right? Are you supposed to like put in a cheat to get past it? I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got a mm. my, my turn to do tangent. I've got a story about a, a Tomb Raider game. I was playing, oh, yeah. I think it was Tomb Raider Chronicles. It was one of them, and there was a section where there was a boss fight with, with I think it was a giant statue, multiple arm statue. I seem to remember something like that, and I couldn't get by it. I was trying, getting really frustrated, couldn't get by it. Then a friend came round, and we, we had a tipple or two, too many, and <clears throat> I went back to the game the next day. Not only did I beat the boss battle, but I progressed four levels, and I honestly don't know how. Mm-hmm. So with Tomb Raider Chronicles, unlike the first one, the, the moral of that story is if I can't beat a level, just get drunk. And it happens, <laughs> so I still don't know how I did it. No idea. <laughs> Wait for me, though. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's a, a a healthy thing to do for the entirety of your life, but okay, if it works... It's, it's, it's works just that Tomb Raider game. It's nothing else. It just works with the Tomb Raider yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, um, so, uh, uh, Stephen, 
um, we've talked a little bit about video games so far. I was wondering, uh, for the folks who maybe haven't seen part one, haven't heard part one, could you give us a quick, a really brief sort of introduction to the ultimate history of video gaming and um, a little bit about your, your career? Is that okay? Sure. So I've been playing games since the very beginning. I mean, before there were video games, there were, there were electromechanical games. That's my alarm telling me that I should get on online so that I can meet with you guys. Um, <laughs> so, so I was already playing electromechanicals, and then uh, in '72, I think I mentioned I was in junior high school and went to bowling and PE and saw Pong, and have been hooked ever since. Um, started covering games in '93 and '95. I started writing Ultimate History. Only back then it was the first quarter and went all the way back to Abraham Lincoln and, and then traced through pin, pinball and how pinball led to arcades and then the rise of consoles. And so book one ends with the fall of Dreamcast or Dreamcast is dying at the end of book one. Sega is dying at the mm. end of book one, really. And then book two picks up right after that. Book two is you know just came out in August, uh, and it goes through PlayStation Three and PlayStation Two and PlayStation Three. Excellent, excellent. I, I have to say, it, and I said this last time, and for the people who are watching this, um, we did we there's there's been about a month and a half between recording part one and part two. Um, it is it is next in my pile of books to read as volume two, and I said that last time. Mm. But in the intervening time, a couple of family uh, events have happened, and uh, I've started working for a new client who are in a completely different time zone. So everything has been thrown out of the window. Not that not the time and dates matter anymore mm. in the current situation that we find ourselves, but everything has been thrown out of the window for me. <laughs> I hope the family events are so, good one. What I'm hoping. Yes, they were. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Um, but yes, uh, so what I'm hoping for is uh, there's this wonderful, I want to say it's Icelandic. There's this wonderful Icelandic tradition that I found out about uh, earlier this year. And that is at the sort of uh, end of year festival time, at the Christmas time, that kind of thing. Um, on Christmas Eve, everyone gets a, a present. You know, They get a book and it's a present. And what you're supposed to do is you get a cup of hot cocoa, you get some chocolates, you get all snuggled up somewhere, and you start reading your book and drinking your cocoa, and then you fall asleep, and then the whole Santa business happens, and then you wake up and you have loads of presents to open. So what I'm going to do, what I'm saying is, I'm hoping that I can do uh, the ultimate guide of uh, to the ultimate um, history of to, to read volume two, essentially. Sorry, I've. I'm falling over my words because, I, like I said, I've been I've been working for oh gosh, what time are we now? So it is currently fifteen forty-seven UK time, and I've been up and working since about three AM. <laughs> so everything's gone a bit wobbly for me. So I do apologise, but I'm hoping to get volume two uh, read over the Christmas period if I can, um, uh, and if I can, if I can include that Icelandic tradition then that will be even better. You know, curl up with a good book, a cup of hot cocoa, and fall asleep. That sounds good to me. Squidge, what he's really saying is my book, book my books put him to sleep. I, yeah, that's one interpretation. <laughs> um, it, it certainly won't be what I'll be doing on Christmas Eve. I'll tell you that. Um, I have recently, because uh, I've, I've spent a good two and a half, three months moving house, um, um, my old house where my old stuff used to be, I'm still going through it because there's quite a lot and I've been working, obviously, and stuff. And I've rediscovered um, or relocated my uh, Sony PSP. Oh, and there's nice. a particular game on there that I love to play that I cannot get enough of, and it's Fancy Star Portable. And I know for a fact I'm going to be playing that for the next four months. <clears throat> so oh, on Christmas game? Eve, I'm going to be... Pl it's uh, Fancy Star Portable. I'm going to be playing that oh. till I... Till I probably pass out <laughs> early hours in the morning, you know, <laughs> playing it and then keeping it plugged in while playing it and then unplugging it and then plugging it back in with with my with my little grip I've got for it. And I'm just going to fall asleep playing that. Wake up with it on my face, you know. Uh, <laughs> you see, I have to say, I think that that Sony got the portable devices really like the 
the the PSP already wasn't. How do I put it? When when the Sony executives walked out on stage and said, um, "This is an impenetrable fortress of security," like that's the worst thing you could say ever, because as soon as you say something like that, someone's going to go, "Okay, it is now my mission to break into this thing." Mm. But I do believe, right, that my personal opinion is that the PSP and the PSP Vita were such great pieces of hardware. I, I genuinely believe that. I mean, what what are the, what everyone else in the room thinks? I don't know, but I think that they genuinely were great pieces of hardware. Well, what do you all? Can think? we talk about that for a second? Yeah. So sure. So I remember the day the at E three when they were both unveiled, PSP and DS, and I was by far in the minority. I thought DS was pretty cool. Um, everyone else was just crazy about PSP. I thought PSP was great too. Um, and the head of, uh, I, I write about it in the book, the head of, um, of Squaresoft, well, I met with him that day and he went out to have a smoke and asked me to come with him. And, and he was talking with his other executives and he was, they were saying how wonderful PSP was, and he said DS is going to crush it. And the reason he said was because Sony doesn't realize what people want to do when they have a portable system. Mm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, PSP, easily the best portable console maybe ever, uh, but it suffered from the same problem that Nomad suffered from, which was people didn't want a portable console. They didn't want to play their console games on the run. They wanted portable games that a fort you could pick up and put down and and it uh, opened the door. Quick little dr dr Nomad story. Just I, I was in Japan. You know, do you, did you guys mm -hmm. ever play with a Nomad? I didn't. A friend of mine had uh, one. I, I, so I've had some experience with it. They were vampires. They had va these little fangs, and you put your batteries in them, and they sucked them dry. Uh, <laughs> I got on a plane. <laughs> so I was in Tokyo with my Nomad, and I bought this tube of batteries so that I could play my game, my Nomad, all the way from Tokyo to Honolulu. And I got maybe three hours of this huge out of this huge tube of batteries. Maybe three hours. <laughs> Make I, I knew I was in trouble when I played once I got on the plane, and after we took took off, it, mm -hmm. it said that I needed to change batteries already. <laughs> kind of sounds like the Game Gear to me. Oh, yeah, Sega was not Game a big Gear the same problem batteries. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that makes them slightly less environmentally friendly then. Because obviously, you know, if you're having to jettison a bunch of batteries every couple of hours, that's not great for the environment. No. No. <laughs> you know, I mean by the time by the time um of PSP, obviously they were built in batteries now. You didn't have to worry about that. And PSP really was just a as you say, this amazing portable entertainment center. It's just, I'm, I'm not sure that that's what people were looking for at the time. I'm not sure that it isn't what they're looking for now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe that's why uh, Sony got out of the, uh, the, the portable devices market when the Vita, I mean, I, like I say, I, I don't think the Vita did that badly but i think after that they kind of went right okay nobody's buying these because like you say they they don't want a a big budget um console gaming experience on a handheld at the moment right i think perhaps that that tide is slow perhaps i feel like it's slightly uh, slowly turning with the with the switch, switch definitely. Yeah? Well, no, but it's it's taken a very long time. And Vita did fairly competitively in Europe, correct? And mm. it did actually okay. fairly well in Japan. In the United States, it was more of a blip. 
at, at best. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, um, so when, when the original PSP came out, I was working video game retail throughout my college years. And, um, and my, I remember I, I worked a midnight shift for when the PSP came out and the store that I was working at was a really small store and you know, it wasn't, it's in a, a small sleepy city at the time. What didn't have a lot of people living there, but there was a queue all the way out of the door because everybody wanted this brand new Sony console, right? And I don't know whether you remember, but the UMD discs that they came in were kind of like a small disc in a cartridge, almost like um, a mini disc, which another Sony format that didn't do so you well in the United the States, right? The PSP or the Vita, because the Vita came in really small oh, cartridge. Sorry, yeah, the PSP. Oh, PSP, yeah, yeah. right, okay. Yeah, sorry, the PSP. Yeah, so this, you know, this is, uh, I mean, I had already imported mine from, from Hong Kong at this point, right? Because I wanted one as soon as they announced it. I was like, I'm going to get this thing and uh, leave it on version one of the firmware. And I left it on version one because then I installed all sorts of emulators and stuff. And it was great for that. Um, anyway, I've digressed a little bit. The story that I was trying to tell was, uh, the, you know, the, the inst- I felt like the instructions for the PSP weren't very clear because the amount of returns we had the next day of people from people who had bought the games and tried to crack open the small plastic oh, no. um, out at the inner case around the disc and then slide the disc into the console. Oh, no. And, and the big, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think the instructions were too clear with the PSP. Or maybe it's just the people who live in that city. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I had, um, when I got mine, I was determined to get a white one, which I've still got to this day. Um, I got one, I took it home, and my first game that I got for it was uh, Samurai Warriors. I am a massive Koei fan. Love me some Samurai Warriors. Mm-hmm. And I started playing it, and within 10 minutes... The, the control stick snapped. So within the first day of me getting it, I had to go all the way back to go, listen, I was playing this for 10 minutes and look at the stick. And I'm like, yeah, we'll exchange it for you. There's your receipt. There's a new one. So it was just snap. That's because you were oh. playing an arcade game. You're used to really jamming that, that little joystick. I mean, the, the second one I had, I've still got now, so it must have just been a defunct joystick. But I was just, I was with my friend, I was playing it and, he just saw the look on my face when he just had snap and he went, did you just knacker the, the control stick? And I went, I think so. I let go of it and the control stick where it was sat, it just went, Bruh. yeah, this, this is gone. I've got to go back. And it was raining. So I went back. <laughs> it looked like a drowned rat by the time I got there. This is bust. Got it changed. Put it in the bag. Wrapped it around so it didn't get, didn't get bust. Got all the way home. Soaking wet through. Quick towel dry. Right, let's get on with it. And it was fine after that, but I was just... Complete drown rat, broken stick. I thought it was me. My original thought was, they can't be this fragile. This cannot be this fragile. It can't be. But it just went snap. Oh, God. So was um, Samurai Warrior your favorite favorite fighting game? Um, Yeah. Because you... I mean, you had... It was it was um it was between Samurai Warriors and Dynasty Warriors because Samurai Warriors was just purely jump in, kick the crap out of people, and get the story done. Dynasty Warriors was more of a, a stage by stage, and you had an initial XP level to your character, but then when you started a stage, you started at level one, and the more squares you took, you gradually build up, so you had to be strategic with it. But if you leveled up overall, when you were at level one, your stats were higher. And you had bodyguards and all sorts of stuff. I preferred Samurai Warriors because it was less thought process and more button bashing. Okay. <laughs> D- didn't have to think too much. It was just, you know, it was a lot easier. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. I mean, sometimes you just want to play a game where you get dropped into a battlefield and you're fighting lots of things. I mean, sometimes you just feel that way. Right? Sometimes you want to be dropped into a battlefield. Right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sometimes you want to be dropped into a battlefield. Sometimes you want to dress up in kids' toys with a helmet on, with a, a guitar, smashing up zombies. I mean, the, the world's your oyster at that point. You just pick a game and go for it. You're talking about Dead Rising, I, right? I may be. Um, the, the, AKA, totally not um, Dawn of the Dead, the video game. Um, I mean, you don't always have to play classics, do you? You just want to get in and bash something with something. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, look, uh, yeah. that's probably really having fun. That's revealing a bit too much about me sometimes. I think. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. 
Okay. Um, so, we, uh, we, <clears throat> let me try that again. It's a good thing this isn't going out live, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> so, we've had some uh, questions and comments from uh, the community around us. Uh, some friends I reached out to, uh, some friends of the Waffling Tailors. And we've had some, some community questions uh, for you, Stephen. I was wondering whether you'd be willing to, to have a few of these questions sort of flung at you and see what you think. Fling away. Okay. Before we get to the community questions, can, before we get to that, can I just give a brief update? Because I, I remember specifically, I did promise something oh. last time I was on. Oh, yes. Um, I got the Steve Jobs autobiography because oh. um, I said I'd listen to it. I um, I got the audiobook version because I don't read too well. I've, got, I've I'm really sensitive with my eyesight, and I find it really hard to read books because light bouncing. So I got the audiobook, and it was kind of telling when the beginning part, the guy who was narrating it said, "Some of this might be fact, some of this might not be. Take it with a pinch of salt, kind of thing." And I was sort of like, "Okay, yeah. um, I'm four hours in." of a 22-hour audiobook, okay. and it's it's absolutely true. I can't tell if a lot of it's <laughs> grandiose or if it's true. You can tell where the true sections are, where it was like fa absolute fact, this happened, that happened. But it's kind of, it's separating it, and I'm, I'm finding it hard to get into. It is fascinating, do not get me wrong, but it's really hard to get into. Um, but I am trying. <laughs> I said I'd listen to it, and I'm going to. It's just really hard to get into. Um, it's not. It's not light reading. Um, you've got to be in the zone to read, or in my case, listen to it. But it's it's just I'm I'm having a difficult time getting into it. But I am trying. You you know it's not one of those. It's not a nail biter. It's not. You're not reading the, <laughs> the Matrix. It but it. But there's a lot to learn. There are a lot of life lessons to learn. Um, Steve Jobs was fascinating. It's a fascinating book, not an exciting one. Mm. Mm -hmm. And a, I, I, I will yeah, get to the end of it. And brilliantly, brilliantly to. written. I, I'm just going to give Isaac mm. some credit. For mm -hmm. someone as big as, as Steve Jobs, there's always going to be that element of when you interview people, there'll always be that, really? Really? Did that really happen? Or are you just sort of playing up because you know I'm going to put this into the book mm -hmm. to make the person sound, uh, you know, maybe maybe make them sound a little strange to the, to the, to the readers or... Or a little, uh, a little over the top, or whatever. And I feel like I feel like uh, Isaacson found the right blend of let's talk about the man and maybe include a little bit of the myth, but try to explain some of yeah. those things. Yeah, that's very. And I think he's done a really good job at that. Yeah. So you're getting on with it, are you, Squidge? Uh, little by little. <laughs> it's it's okay. taking time, but I'm getting there. Um, it's one of those I'm determined to do it. So. It's just when I'm in the right mood for it, and the 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 pacing of it is a bit. It's very back and forth, and there's a lot of time skips, and it's kind of hard to. I'm I'm stuck with my my classic novel or things that I read. There's usually a timeline or a passage of time that happens instead of doing like a Tarantino bit, you know. But back and forth, let's join it up, and it's 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 it's. I mean, I've got a feeling I'm going to end up with a giant board, you know, with, with things written down and strings going to it like a conspiracy theorist, you know. I've got a feeling it's going to end up like that, but I will get to it. I'm 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 trying. <laughs> I think perhaps, though, that's the problem that you run when you're, when you're writing a biography of a person or an event or a series of events. You have this um, problem of, do I explain the backstory of everything all at once, or do I... 
um, explain an event that happened and then maybe dissect that event by saying, okay, let's just, okay, what you've just witnessed, now let's explain why this happened. Let's go back a little bit and explain that. And now we can move to the next stage, right? We're at the next stage. Now explain, now we'll, we'll observe what happened and then we'll maybe explain what happened that led up to this thing. And I think it's a difficult thing for, for most, I feel like for most writers to do, right? And I think it's something that both, um, if you don't mind me saying, Stephen, both you and Isaacson are very good at is um, because, you know, uh, in, in, in your books, you've had to say, hey, this happened, but okay, now let's move to the next thing. But we have to go back a little bit more to explain something that it dive where like almost events diverge, right? So um, Nolan Bushnell with all of his, um, I want to call them the pool parties, but they're not where they were sitting around in the hot tubs. Okay, so they were doing that, and someone left, and we, they went in this direction. <laughs> so we'll come back to them later in another chapter. For now, we'll stay here. Now let's go back to that pool party and watch the person who went off in that other direction. And I feel like both you and Isaacson do that very well, if you don't mind me saying so. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth, so... Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, how I feel, right? It's, it's, it's very true, but there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, Squidge, what about this first, this first question or comment from good friend, Andrew Dickinson? Oh, Andrew Dickinson, Mr. Podcaster, man. Yes. Um, <laughs> Mr. Andrew Dickinson, lots of podcasts, man. So word for word, <laughs> this is what you said. Okay. You just put, Stephen is lovely. It's a really good start. Right. Say hi from me. So hi from Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Uh, (laughs) um, And ask him where he thinks gaming is headed now. Is VR the next big thing? Are we headed for for a consoleless future with everything in cloud? End quote. (laughs) So VR is sort of the direction. I I will confess that I VR scares the hell out of me Um, because. Our brains physically map themselves based on the the data, the what we feed them. And uh, I, I once published, and actually they made the world's least expensive movie based on a short story I wrote one, a long, long time ago. Um, and when I say the world's least expensive movie, I'm surprised they didn't charge me for making it. But <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> It was it was it was um the, the the it was based on on a company that that would implant things into people's brains, um, hmm. and you know so the thing is we don't have a lot of research showing us what happens when you fool your brain too many times on too many things. It's it's a very visceral thing. You know, they have that, that one VR demonstration where there's like a little ledge you're supposed to walk across and then you put on the VR headset and there's a fan blowing air on you and you're on the top of a tall building. And mm. I haven't tried it. I've talked to many people and I don't think I've run into anybody who finished it, who could do it all, you know, who didn't just say, no, I'm not doing this. Um, <laughs> the, that's powerful. Um, I think, um, if we do head further into the VR direction, which I think ultimately has to be the case, then you have, um, the retinal, we'll go the retinal display route because I think the headsets are too bulky and limiting. And I think Mm. what we'll find is a lot less VR and a lot more enhanced augmented reality AR. Yeah. Just my opinion. And truly a worthless opinion. No, I <laughs> I think I think you're right. I think um AR like AR is already becoming a big at least in the circles that I that I find myself in. Um maybe it's just because it's developers playing with the technology, but um augmented reality is is very much a thing that you can do and and it's a great way to um enhance or or indeed augment the uh the the environment that you're in um in development you could maybe have um i've seen one person who working away and they have like the hololens the microsoft hololens system they're working away and when they receive an important email about the work that they're doing it sort of pops up in their vision just just below their eye 
Like it just sort of appears here because you've got to still put the sort of the headset on and it will just appear just in their vision. Hey, you have this important message rather than it just being a notification on your screen because you can easily lose that. Right. Mm. But if it's in your field of vision, you tend to react a little bit more. Oh, what's this? Oh, goodness. There's, you know, the server's on fire or something, you know, um, and people <laughs> tend to react to that. But I also, <laughs> I also like the idea of using, sorry, Squidge, I should have waited help. until you finished drinking help. then. Help, the server's on fire and now my trousers are on fire as well. <laughs> I mean, okay, so um, true story. I worked for a company once who said, um, I walked into the server room and they said, whatever you do, never ever push this button there's a gigantic red button and i mean if you're going to make a button you don't want me to push don't color it red that's you know but anyway this gigantic red button and they said well why he said there's that much important information in this room on these servers that if the room catches fire you hit this big red button and it sucks the air out of the room you will die but the information will be protected because it is that important so don't ever push this button and i was like Okay, can I leave, please? <laughs> I don't want to work here anymore. See, if it was me, I want to guarantee that if I hit that button, there's some sort of music playing. You know, like you, you push it, and as you go out, you can hear trombones or, or harps oh, or no, something. No. You know? This is the thing. You push the button, and the door comes down straight away. Yeah. Like, you are sealed in that room within less than, like, a tenth of a second. You know, so, a, yeah, a speaker in the corner. The <laughs> Just blast out yeah. some music. You know, like, Flight of the Valkyries or something as you go out. You know, if you're going to do it, do it properly and give like a power pose. <laughs> why not? Well, so two comments on that. Sure One, um, with augmented reality, uh, the best lie is the lie where you, where it's so infused with truths that you really have to go looking. That's the same with augmented reality. Um, the other thing, though, just on, on your comment about, you know, don't hit the red button. There's a comic named Garrison Keeler who says that God made a huge mistake in the Garden of Eden. He shouldn't have told Adam not to eat the apple. He should have told Adam not to eat the snake. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that'd work. Oh, as, um, like that. <laughs> as someone who's got a VR headset who only yesterday... It's 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 an Oculus. I installed Resident Evil Four VR. Um, I only just and I've I've had mine for about nine months. It was only just yesterday that I figured out how to attach it to my head properly as a glasses wearer without it like nipping or you know and being too tight. So I finally figured out yesterday how to do it, and I can I can attest to how heavy the, the headset is. You get used to it after a while. But when you first start in using it, it's either too loose or too tight. And true story, I have ended up at some high speed going into a wall because I didn't realize where the barrier was. I set it too much. You can set the barrier yourself. You know, I set it too wide and I ended up 10 and going straight into a wall. <laughs> a bit tighter this time. Yeah, so I've, I've done that a few times. There's, there's a couple of scrapes on the front of it, even though it's got the safety feature of tapping it. And you can see I've gone barreling into a wall, not realizing um, I've also caught TV a few times. There's a, there's a couple of good wallops and dints into the TV. My own fault. But I was I was playing a fighting game, and I got a bit too into it. Next thing I know, I heard this crack. I moved the headset up, and I realised that I'd punched the TV. <laughs> not with a, not with a, not with the hand bit, but with my hand, I punched it. So there's a massive yeah. dent where I hit it because I was really going. It was a boxing game, I think. I was just going for it. Ding! Oh, okay. I'll step aside. That's because I set the barrier too wide. <laughs> Not realizing. I think though, I think though that fits with what you were saying earlier, Stephen, about your brain maps the environment based on the input you give it. So um, another example is um, a friend of mine plays. Oh my goodness, I can't even remember the name of it. It's a it's an Oculus game where you have to like shoot loads of zombies, and the end of the game you have to grab hold, do the sort of action hero pose of grab hold of the the underside of a of a, uh, a helicopter and be lifted off whilst just dangling from arizona shooting sunrise, downwards right that's the one arizona sunrise and uh, he says every time he plays it because obviously what happens is you look up and you push the button to grab hold of the the the, the helicopter and your body braces for the i'm going to get pulled up off of the floor and then it goes and you don't move and he says every time it happens he falls over 
or he feels like he's <laughs> going to be sick because his whole body is tensed, ready for that for that yank, right? And uh, I think if if that's going to be the future, they need to sort of maybe uh, look into whether those kinds of part, you know, those kinds of actions in the game should happen because obviously it's going to cause people issues, right? Or maybe and I remember when I was maybe sort of change the game so instead of holding onto a helicopter, it sort of lowers a platform that you stand on. So it doesn't feel yeah, like you're being yeah. lifted up. You're just sort of looking down and you're, you're stood on a platform. Did, did you guys see no, I know, Free Guy? Have you guys seen Free Guy yet? I haven't seen it yet. It is on my list of things to see. I haven't seen it yet, although yeah. I am I'm going to watch it. You know, the first hour of Free Guy is amazing beyond belief. It goes a little long and, and loses its way towards the end, as is bound to do. But in a lot of ways, Free Guy was a lot more honest about what it's like to be virtual than Ready Player One. Mm. And that was interesting to me that it, it was a more honest portrayal. You know, and Free Guy at one point, are you guys going to forgive me? A, a, it's not the end spoiler or anything, but yeah. No, um, go for it. But at, at one point, Ryan Reynolds, who's an NPC, you know, non non-playable um, character wants asks if he can kiss this playable character. And she's like, well, that's not really in the programming, but he's able to do it because he's an NPC. But the point is, you know, there are so many movements. Every movement, ha- as you guys would know, any movement that you do in a game on some level has to be programmed in. Hmm. And there was such a freeman, freedom of movement in um, in uh, in Ready Player One. There was no limit to what moves you could do. Anything you could think of, you could do sure. in theory because you had this haptic suit on. But it doesn't work that way. It was nice that in Free Guy they got that right. Mm-hmm. Oh. I like that. I like that. I do remember um, when I was at university, uh, we were shown... So this was uh, 2004 to 2008. Uh, we were shown some footage of, um, at the time, um, cutting edge. Everything is cutting edge, right, in, in research. The bunny quartz cutting edge, right? And this was uh, cutting edge VR stuff that was happening at the University of Utah. Now, uh, from what I remember back then when I was at uni, uh, Utah is the place to go. Yeah. If you want to be in um, in sort of graphics at the very forefront of graphical uh, computer graphics research, and they they had um, they had the VR headsets that had full tracking throughout this room. They had the controllers, but they also had you would step into the room and step onto a platform, and the platform was uh, made up of four moving platforms. If that makes sense, you'd stand on one, and as you go to step forward, it would. De- detect the weight shift of your foot and another one of these platforms would quickly zip around in front of you. So then you step onto that platform. It would then drag you back to give you the feeling of movement. Whereas you, but actually you haven't moved anywhere, Mm. which helped with um, the idea of like you were saying there, which of walking into things. But the problem is you need a huge open space to do that. And I think, I think maybe that's going to be the limiting factor with, Mm. with VR right now is that especially over in the uk we don't have a lot of space so traditionally a family room like a living room in a house is you know you're talking maybe 12 feet wide maximum then you've got to get a couch in there and some furniture and so really you've got about six or seven feet of space if that and so i think vr at least over here is gonna going to have to change a little bit in the way that it works Mm. uh you know my understanding over in the united states is that you know People tend to have larger rooms, <laughs> so you, you you have that space. And I think this was one of the problems with the Connect when it first came out. It was very much just because of the way it was designed. It was very much geared towards American consumers and not so much the UK or Japan, where we don't have a lot of space. Well, because can... I remember uh, what? No, I was just going to say Connect had a whole treasure trove of problems, but that's another story. Yes, <laughs> that it did. <laughs> it did. It did. <laughs> Yeah, I remember uh, watching you, Squish, trying to play this uh, Connect game and having to, you kept bumping into things because obviously you're focusing on what you're being prompted to do. And because you don't realize, oh, there's a door there, bash, I've just hurt my shoulder again, you know? 
It's uh, after we set it yeah. up in a bigger room and sort of confiscated the room. It was me and my friend, and we were playing the Connect Adventure thing. So it was, um, mm-hmm. it was, it was a particular mini game where you're in a raft and you got to jump and move your arms to collect coins and stuff. And duck and and duck, yeah. And Jill remembered this story because he still got a picture of it. I um, I was playing with a good friend, uh, the bee, and before it even started, I'm I'm in workout clothes, right? So before I even started, he slapped my hand. I have no idea why. But the thing is, he's he's very thin. Really thin. Not he, he don't look ill with it, but he's just a really thin guy. And I wasn't expecting it, and I picked him up like I was gonna body slam him, and I started screaming <laughs> like I was going to. He got freaked out. Jay quick as a flash took a picture and then I put him down. And he sort of looked at me and I went, Don't slap my hand again. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still got the picture I of think, me holding him like a wrestler would just going ah and I put him down I think though that was one of one of the big problems with those early um, I want to say alternative input games I'm not sure what the actual um, word for it would be like the Nintendo Wii the Kinect the PlayStation Move was because you you know traditionally with video gaming whoops traditionally with video gaming you're, you're holding a controller, you're not really moving. So you can sit next to someone. There might be a little bit of friendly jostling, but reach over and do something with your controller, maybe try and block your vision. But there isn't very much any of this, you know, lots of arms moving and legs moving. And so for a lot of people, it was a whole new experience of, whoops, I've just beaten you up, but I wanted to get that piece of fruit from the screen or whatever. A lot of black eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Inadvertently, yeah. So... Yeah. When you're talking about U- University of Utah, you're talking about back in the Evans and Sutherland days. Sure, yeah, okay. sorry, yep. Yeah. yeah, that goes back a long way. Yeah. That, you know, they, that's does, where Nolan Bushnell went to school. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah, um, they, 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 my, one of my lecturers, one of my professors always said, you know, if you're thinking of doing a postgrad, Go to America, go to go to Utah because that's where you want to be for for computer science, graphic stuff. Go to Utah for computer science um, and electrical engineering, electronic engineering. You want to be at MIT, and I was like, okay, that's wonderful, but I ain't never going to get there. So <laughs> I, I wonder if that's still that's, the case. Yeah. You know, I I spoke to Evans for about thirty seconds once. Right. I think it was Evans. You know, it's funny because when I first started work on Ultimate History, you know, I heard it. I was, I would go to Utah. Um, Utah has a really interesting video game underground there. I, you know, a lot of things. A lot of good people came out of Utah. Obviously, Nolan Bushnell for openers. Um, and either Evans or Sutherland. Somebody mentioned Evans and Sutherland to me as something to look into. And to me, it sounded like it sounded like a department store. You know, it's like, oh yeah, go shopping at Evans and Nuts Sutherland. <laughs> and it's like, well, isn't Nordstrom's good enough? Or you know, but <laughs> but um, so I, I talked to I think it was Sutherland. It might have been Evans. One of them had passed away already, and said, you know, I was hoping to interview you. And he's like, for what? And I said, a book on the history of video games. And he said, no. And that was the entire conversation. Um, so, <laughs> so, but I also went to Utah when they had the Olympics there, and I did an article called mm. "The Other Olympic Games" or "The Other Utah Games" about all the game companies and all the game people who came out of Utah. The the kid who discovered uh, the the Easter egg in, in um, Adventure on the on the Atari twenty six hundred was a Utah kid, uh, Clayton. Something Clayton. Anyways, so um, so I went down there, and all the car combat games come out of Utah, or they used to. Motor City Mayhem. Can um, oh, what was that great Sony one? You know, with with uh, Sweet Tooth, the Twisted Metal. Oh, oh Heavy uh, Metal. Yes. Yeah, sorry, Twisted sorry. Metal. Yeah, yeah Twisted yeah, Metal came out of Utah. A bunch of them came out. The only one that wasn't coming out of Utah was. Obviously, Mario Kart. Um, mm. Drivers are terrible in Utah. I mean, <laughs> that, that is considered the most scary state in the country to drive in. And 
So because I was writing this article for MSNBC and USA Today, I started out by interviewing the governor of Utah, Mike Levitt. And then I put out my article, and, and in my article for USA Today, I commented that that all the com- car combat gr- games come out of Utah, which won't be a surprise to anybody who's ever driven down the I-5 corridor. Um, <laughs> I actually got a call from the... Uh, from the governor saying he didn't appreciate that comment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I wonder if those two facts are related though. Like if it is so difficult to drive there, maybe that's, you know, they get, they get into the office and they're like, Oh, if only I had a cannon on my car today, I know what I'll do. I'll make that game (laughs) where I'm driving around in, in traffic and I have a cannon. I don't know. It would work for me. Maybe one of those comedy oversized, um, uh, you know, the boxing glove. You know. <laughs> Do you ever that, play that Cell one. Damage? Yes. I have not played I've Cell played, Damage. It's, so um, many games I haven't played. It's a ton of fun, that one. <laughs> I it's like insane. Cell Damage. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that game. Yeah. Your it's, boxing uh, it, glove reminded me of that reference. That game ruins friendships, um, especially couch golf ones. <laughs> It's there's that is definitely one that does it, and you end up getting an elbow in the face if you're not careful. <laughs> or at least I did. I don't know about anyone else. But. <laughs> oh, geez, I'm wondering whether that's more to do with your friends, though. But there you go. Mm. I don't know. He's the one who picked, um, some, picked the friend up and was about to body slam him. That's I mean, true. He, he was asking for it. He slapped me. So. <laughs> Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Daguet. See the show notes for more details.